All right, I have a story for you this morning. So I know a woman who lost two of her three children in the same year, both in totally different tragic accidents. And this was a woman I knew growing up and her remaining daughter was in my class at school. And I wrote to her recently, uh, just a couple months back actually, to tell her that I have been admiring her my whole life because she was the first person I ever saw dealing with deep grief and trauma in a very forthright way. She didn't shy away from it, and she kept her joy with her, and she remained a very optimistic and faithful and present person. And I've always admired her, and it, it occurred to me all these years later that I should tell her so. And she responded to me very graciously, and she sent me this story, which I have her permission to read to you. Here it is. These are her words. While I still feel the loss of my boys very deeply, something happened that changed me and my life. The house where we lived in was very long. My daughter's bedroom was on one end, and ours was on the other end. I never wanted to cry in front of her for fear of upsetting her more than she was, so at night, while in the bathtub with the water running, is when I cried. And I did cry, sobbing out loud, thinking, hoping and praying that no one could hear. It was on one of these nights that I was crying and felt at the end of my rope. I could not go on like this anymore. I prayed out loud, dear Lord, please help me. I can't do this anymore. Right then and there, I felt a complete and total calm come over my entire body. And then I felt as though I were lifted out of the water in the tub and was just floating above the water. I cannot explain it any better than this and to say that I know it was the good Lord holding me and telling me that I was going to be okay and everything was going to be all right. I've never, ever felt this kind of peace before in my entire life. God was there. He listened and he answered me. I cannot put into words the way it made me feel and the thankfulness and love that I have for our God. He is good, he does listen, and he does answer. That's a beautiful story, yes? Brings a tear to your eye, if you let it. I'm becoming sort of a collector of these kinds of stories. Stories of God meeting with a person in her deepest pain and need. Stories of how the divine intersects with us in our suffering and somehow mystically intervenes for us. I am very fascinated by stories like this and I listen avidly when someone tells me how she faced breast cancer or went through the loss of a child or handled a challenging adoption or a devastating divorce. I'm especially interested in the people who are joyfully resilient, who instead of resisting the difficult experiences that life hands them, they say yes to them. 
and dredge out wisdom and beauty from them. I'm so curious about these kinds of people. And this is where my head is when I, as I'm coming to this week's lectionary scripture from Luke 11. So we're smack dab in the middle of our summer travels with Jesus series in which we follow Jesus through the lectionary stories from Luke as he travels around the countryside. He's preaching and healing and teaching. So recently Aurelia preached on the Good Samaritan and then the next week, which was last week, the story of Mary and Martha. And she pointed out that when you read the whole text of the book of Luke up to where we are now in chapter 11, you kind of get a sense of where things are. And you can see that these two stories, the Good Samaritan and the story of Mary and Martha, are a lesson in prioritizing. So we learn what's most important. We learn about love and care for neighbor. And then we learn about the importance of sit, sitting at the teacher's feet. So we can follow up that lesson, which is today's lesson in how to pray, which is to say a lesson in how to be and how to live attentively to God. So please hear the, um, the scripture. This is Luke 11, 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Master, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, reveal who you are, set the world aright, keep us alive with three square meals, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. This is the message translation forgot to say that. Then he said, imagine what would happen if you went to a friend in the middle of the night and said, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. An old friend traveling through just showed up and I don't have a thing on hand. The friend answers from his bed, don't bother me. The door's locked and my kids are all down for the night and I can't get up to give you anything. But let me tell you, even if he won't get up because he's a friend, if you stand your ground knocking and waking all the neighbors, He'll finally get up and get you whatever you need. Here's what I'm saying. Ask and you'll get. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with the live snake on his plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think the Father who conceived you in love will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask? We hear the voice of God through these words. So the disciples asked Jesus outright to teach them how to pray. So he does. And as I sat with this, this text, I began to see some patterns emerge. It seems to me like there are some postures that Jesus seems to be encouraging us to take as we attempt prayer, which again, I describe prayer as living attentively to God. And when I say the word posture, what I mean is your inner attitude and approach to dealing with life. Your inner attitude and approach and the way you consider the things that come up for you. I think Jesus is asking us to mold our own inner postures so that we can get the most goodness out of our experiences and help, G help others to do the same. So, 
the first posture that I see happening here is, I call it, acceptance of God as the central source. So I find it interesting that the first part of the liturgy that Christ's give them, which, by the way, it's a liturgy. He gives us the first liturgy. It's beautiful. But it's sort of an ego interruption. That first line of it that we all know so well, most of us, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Or as in Peterson's translation, Father, reveal who you are and set the world aright. It invites us into a profound postural shift, which is out of our own ego and expectations and agendas and into the divine flow of the community of God. He says like, guys, set yourself inside something greater. Set yourself not as the center of your own universe, but as part of a divine flow. And let God and God's priorities be your pull star. God is the divine source of life, not us. And what this posture does for us is it frees us up to receive from God and to not be so worried about controlling everything because we can't and it's only ever our ego that likes us to think that we can control everything. And I would also argue that this posture of humility and of letting God be God is the major posture that allows for forgiveness. So both the receiving of forgiveness and the giving of it. It allows for a holy letting go. Forgiveness is always easier once we step outside of our own ego. And when we let go of control, we are able to accept what is and forgive it for being what it is. We are able to let God be God. All right. That's the first posture, also known as have a little humility, folks. Then we follow the narrative into the second posture, which is a posture of persistence and personal responsibility. We find this in the anecdote of the guy needing a loaf of bread. And Jesus affirms the guy in keeping on asking, even though he's been told no the first time, and even though it's a really inconvenient time to ask. For bread. Jesus seems to think that boldly asking for what you need is not only normal but good in terms of prayer. So in, t in terms of living attentively to God, Jesus affirms this unrelenting, can't give up, squeaky wheel gets the oil kind of attitude. And I, I see this truth in scripture and in life again and again, that there is this flow of abundance and goodness that we have access to if we do the persistent work of putting ourselves in its path. And that's part of the work of spiritual practice, which we're always going on about around here. And spiritual practice takes some grit. And what is grit? Grit is one part passion, one part perseverance, one part courage, and another heaping part of resilience. So Jesus knows that in this life, it is likely that you're going to have to ask twice or a few times. And that that asking is probably less about God 
by which I mean less about God's love for you or attention towards you, which is always unrelentingly there and present and available. And it's more about you and your character and your ability, our ability to surrender to the divine flow, which brings us to the third posture that I hear Jesus encouraging, which is a posture of surrender and trust. Okay, I find it worth noting that how Jesus responds to and follows up the question posed to him, which is, teach us to pray, is basically with a lesson in surrender. He says, here's how to be a child who is trusting and untraumatized. A little child who asks for good things and is really confident of receiving them, who is still capable of trust and optimism and who still believes that goodness and love are headed their way, be like a little child who has a good parent. We learn in this passage that we are to pray both trustfully and persistently. And I don't know about you, but I detect some tension between those two themes. The theme of trust, meaning asking for what you need and feeling sure you'll receive it, and the theme of persistence, meaning, well, you may have to keep asking a few times. You may have to be a bit of a squeaky wheel, like this guy asking for bread and making a racket all night. That's actually kind of funny to me, and actually, it goes along with my perception of the Christ as a person who utterly embraces mystery and conundrums and ambiguity. He's like, God loves you, ask for anything. But God might sleep, be sleeping, and you might have to ask loudly. I think that's pretty funny. And, now, and doesn't there seem to always be a conundrum inherent in all of the most important aspects of the life of faith? There is always a paradox. We've talked about it before, how so much of the life of faith involves embracing paradox, and about how within those paradoxes there is often deep wisdom and deep encouragement. So Jesus is asking us to go after what we want and need with determination and with surrender to the great flow of all that is and to trust that it's good. To relinquish our clenched hands and our clenched jaws and our worry and our anxiety and our unforgiveness. And he says, to pray is to go with the divine flow and to trust it. And the divine flow is like a good daddy or a good mama, someone loving and caregiving and trustworthy and forward-thinking, and someone who, can we, who we can rely on to plan out tomorrow's meals. And this is the posture that we are invited by Jesus to live out in the world, the one that first decenters our false self and places God, places the divine at the center, and also has grit and guts and persistence and also miraculously lives in a current of abundance that we can't always see. That's a robust way to live in the world, yeah? It's a countercultural way of being, and it's miles and miles away from the closed-handed, closed-minded, there's never enough so we may as well give up, sort of culture that we live in today, and it's prayer. Jesus is giving us 
a generous formula for how to live attentively to God with humility and grit and trust. And it's a pretty powerful recipe, I think, for resilience and joy. My friend who lost her boys was able to approach her grief and her loss with humility and grit and trust. And that is what I've admired her about her all these years. Now, some of us have been so beaten and battered by life that we have had disappointment after disappointment and loss after loss, and we have become cynical. And some of us look outside, we look out at what's happening in our political system and at the border of our country and in our so-called healthcare system and at the prison industrial con uh, complex that we've got going on here in this country, and we have a little trouble. Like when we're asked to trust and to believe that God is good or the divine is working in our favor, we have some trouble. We have a catch in our guts. Like, is that really true? We don't necessarily feel like innocent children capable of trust and optimism. Am I right? So I know people who have persistently for years on end asked for their desires and still no answer. And that's mysterious. I think, I think it's those folks who have the biggest challenge when it comes to believing that the universe is good and that it is working toward our best interest. And I don't have a good answer for those people. But I do have the tiniest, smallest measure of encouragement because my own experience with the divine is not so much a I get what I want experience as it is a feeling like a feeling of being full of love, like a feel, the feeling that my friend describes in the bathtub. And so if you are one of those folks, I see you. And my prayer for you is not so much that you'll get what you want, although I do want you to get that. But my prayer for you is that you'll find the divine flow and get in it and experience the peace and the freedom that comes with being surrounded by all-encompassing love no matter what your circumstances are. I have another friend who has experienced some loss and grief and he's always saying a thing that will blow your mind if you let it. He says, all love is love. Like, we don't have to differentiate the loves that we get or give. All love is divine love. All love is from God. And whether it's coming to you from a child or a dog or a service organization or a minister or a friend or a spouse, all love is from the well of love and can fill your well of love. And in between the state of feeling discouraged for all you haven't received or all that you've lost or for that matter all that you're being asked to deal with right now which incidentally that's where I live a lot I can't tell you how many times I think I don't know if I can't deal with this I don't know if I can handle this one 
I can't, I can't do it this time. In between that state, a feeling discouragement on one side and the state of being in God's flow where freedom and love and gratitude abound and you're totally surrendered to receiving whatever love in whatever package, there's sometimes a great chasm that sometimes only God's self can bridge. Only a divine awakening and transformation and perhaps a mystical experience. And that's the chasm that I start to pray into. I can't explain it, but I can start to pray into it. And I like to pray like St. Paul in Ephesians 1 where he says, that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we may know the hope of God's calling and the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. That's some mystical stuff right there. I am not going to stand here and preach to you, oh, well, you just need a little more faith, and then you'll get there. I'm not going to tell you platitudes. I can't do that. I don't know that it's true. Instead, I'm going to tell you that you may need an, an intervention. You may need an external influx of connection with God. You may need for the great mystery to bridge the gap between what you know and what you can't see. Like they did for my friend that day in the, water, in the bathtub with the water running. She did not get her boys back. What she did get was a divine encounter that has sustained and transformed her for 20 some years since. This kind of experience is what I mean by an intervention. I know, I know that there are times in our lives when we just cannot move any further under our own power. But I can't say with certainty that you're gonna get the thing you want in this life. I can say with absolute 100% utter certainty that God is with you and God is surrounding you in love every moment, I can say that the divine flow of God's love is available to you regardless of your feelings about it. And that, I can also say this, that a great way to be in the world and to live attentively to God and to weather everything that life is inevitably going to throw at us, we are none of us immune, we are none of us exempt from difficulty, is with humility and grit and trust, like we learn in this lesson. This is how to be joyfully resilient. This is how to pray with your whole life. <laughs>